Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. If there was a ledge and if you fall off the ledge, you're going to die. You wouldn't be saying, how close can I get to the ledge and, and before I die? You know, if you flirt with that ledge before you know it, you're going to find out, right? That's not the question to be asked. How much can I drink before I'm considered drunk? That's the wrong question. That's a dumb question. That's the wrong that's the wrong way to be going, but that's how compromise happens. I just I still want that. But God says no. So I wanna know how much can I get before, you know, oh my I'm being messed up. It happens in a lot of different ways. As Christians in our legalistic society, it's easy to do what we want to do while still staying away from sin. We love it when we're right next to crossing the line, but still remaining pure in the sight of the Lord by not completely crossing it. In today's message, Pastor Bill wants you to know that you need to avoid sin with everything you are. There is no such thing as cutting it close. Instead, you need to focus on staying as far away from it as you can. The closer you are to sin, the faster you'll slip into its clutches. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation chapter two. As he continues his message, the church of Pergamos, there are more victories to get. You guys know that as long as you walk with God, there are going to be more victories for you to go get. At this stage in my walk with the Lord, which I got saved in 1995, I'm not fighting the same battle I was fighting in 95. I'm not getting delivered from alcohol. I've been free of alcohol since then. I'm, I'm not being delivered from, you know, fighting folks in the street. I haven't done that in, a, in quite some time. Don't test me. Um, but it, it's, they're new challenges, right? They're new things that God is saying I'm going to deal with that now. And I believe that this will continue until I get to heaven. I'll, I'll be an unfinished product until I make it into the kingdom of God. I'll be a work in progress. Never going to be perfect this side of heaven, but I should be better. Amen. And the way we get better is when the God puts his finger on something that we say, yes, Lord, and we yield to him and we fight the battle and we confess our sins and we, we let conviction have his perfect work. And, and then we get over that thing. And then two years from now, there'll be some different thing that the Lord is dealing with you on. So, here he says, I know your works, and he tells them that he knows where they dwell. He says, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now, that's a big deal because he's saying, look, I know you guys live in a jacked up area. I know where you guys live. It is not popular to be Christians. You guys live where Satan's throne is. Now, here, this is what we know about Satan. Satan is not like God. He's not omnipresent, right? Satan's not present everywhere, but God says where you guys are is where Satan's throne is. Here's why Jesus said that about them. This is some of the things that were going on in Pergamos. Um, one, they were known of their worship of Asclepius. It's a, it was one of the gods that they worshiped. The symbol of this god, which was on their coin, was a serpent. Now, you know how on our, mon- our money, we got in God we trust, and we got the different presidents, even though we don't trust in God as a country, but we got that on our money. I, I hope they don't ever take that off. I still like it to be on my money, you know. But here they had, they had this little serpent, and that was one of the gods that they worshipped. It was a serpent. They worshipped many gods. Uh, one was called Demeter. One was Athenia. One was Dionysus. Um, they worshipped all these different pagan gods, and they worshipped Caesar. They had the, the worship of Caesar that was brought into this area. They were known for having a giant altar to Zeus. It was 120 by 112 feet, and it overlooked the city's citadel. So when you came into this area, it was clear like, man, this place is given over to darkness, to wickedness, to idolatry. Think of some areas that we know of that we would say, man, that area is 
given over to specific kinds of sins. What are some areas that you guys are aware of in our context that we would say that area is given over to some certain sins? Everybody say Vegas, right? Vegas is, we, they call it sin city. Vegas is given over to drunkenness, gambling, sexual sin, all of that. People go to Vegas to, you know, do some stuff that they think they can leave it in Vegas, but that's not quite possible. Um, Vegas is given over. Where else would you guys say are some given over? New Orleans given over. There's you know, we got the witchcraft and stuff like that going on there. Where else? San Francisco. Uh, I heard Amsterdam. I don't know what they're giving over to, but oh, I, I'll take your word for it. I've never been to Amsterdam. Here's the thing. Just like we know in our setting, there are areas that are given over to certain sins. Jesus is saying to them, I know where you guys dwell. I know it's rough, but I want you to know that that's not going to be an excuse for them. I know you guys, you guys live where Satan's throne is. You are in the thick of that that's not going to be an excuse for them to be given over themselves though and so if you're in the thick if God's got you in rough area difficult grounds God's I know you in tough area but you guys know that God needs strong believers in tough areas right we can't look at an area and say I know a pastor right now in Vegas his name is Derek uh Niter 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 I met him it's a really good guy solid guy real passion for evangelism and he's an awesome bible teacher and I look at him and I think man I pray for him when I think of him when I when I see his picture on the thing I pray for him I'm like god you've got him in an area where the need is horrendous but he's there with a heart for god and a passion to reach people for Jesus in a tough area now god wouldn't want him to leave and find some nice christian area you know I heard there's a great community of christians over here I'm going to go join them god's like no I need you in a rough area bro I need, but I can't have you now. My brother, he can't start gambling. I can't. I can't find out that you know he he he's out there gambling with the folks. Like you know, I'm just trying to connect with him. You know, uh, he can't. That would be compromised. God has put him there in a rough area, but to be a witness to have an impact. God will plant us in rough areas because God needs His people everywhere. God needs believers in every area. So God, says, I know where you guys dwell, where Satan's throne is, and there He gives them this commendation. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Jesus says, I know your works. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, rough area. And I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging that you guys did not deny my name. You did not deny the faith. You did not deny my name, even when uh, somebody from the church was martyred was killed for their faith. So we know this about the area that they're in. It's not just anti-Christian. It's not just pro-pagan worship. They're also killed a believer here. They've also martyred a believer here. So they're, they're against the church, not just verbally, right? Imagine, we, we don't know that kind of pressure yet in America. Um, we may know that people disagree with the church. They disagree with our opinions and views, but I don't know about somebody, you know, killing us yet, you know, out here. So um, but imagine that. So God said, you guys withstood that. You guys didn't bow out even when that happened. And I acknowledge you for that. I give you credit for that. I know your works. And I saw that you guys hung in there. You guys didn't bow out. You didn't give up your faith, even when you saw one of your own get murdered, get killed, be martyred. And, you know, some people do give up when things like that happen. Some people, when somebody died, they're like, God, why? Why would God do that? Why didn't God show up? And we got to be careful about asking why God questions. This because uh, well, if you want to ask, why I tell people this when they get all, all happy on the why God I said, why would God save you? Ask that. Why God that? Why would God die for you? And you acting like that. Ask that why God question, you know, because um, I realized that the most important thing that God did for me was die in my place for my sins. 
Um, promise me eternal life if I believe in him, put my faith in him. I got no promise that says bad things won't happen to me. People I love won't die. Me or other people won't get sick. I don't have that as a promise. Uh, what I have as a promise is that all my sins can be forgiven and I can go to heaven when I die and spend eternity with him if I surrender to him with all my heart. Amen. So I'm clinging to the promises that are and I'll deal with life's realities, whatever they may be. And so Jesus says, look, I know your works and I credit you guys. I acknowledge you guys for hanging in there, uh, even in the face of heavy persecution, even to the point of death. Then verse 14, he says the word but. And he's getting ready to list out now the, the things he has against them. And I would ask everybody here to consider, what would God, if, if God was evaluating you, and never mind all the good things you think he would say, if he said, but I have this against you, what would it be? Are you aware of? Are there things that you're aware of today as you sit here in church that you would say, mm, I know God would have that against me? Hear, hear what he says. He says, but I have a few things against you. First thing he says, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. So he says, look, I have this against you. First thing that you have there, those that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Notice this, that you have them there. Not Not that you hold the doctrine of Balaam, but it's my church. And you have there in my church those that are holding to this false beliefs. So let me explain the doctrine of Balaam and why God don't want it in his church. For you guys that are unfamiliar with the story, in the book of Numbers, you can go back and read it, um, 25, um, it's, it's kind of before, you can read 20 to 25 of Numbers, but in Numbers 25 specifically, you get the gist of it. There was a prophet named Balaam. Um, and I, I, this is one of the guys I look at and I'm puzzled. God, why did you gift him to be a prophet? Because he was a jerk. Um, God, this guy, Balaam, God had him there as a prophet. God would give him messages to speak blessings over the children of Israel. Well, there was a king named Balak, and he saw that the children of Israel were blessed, and he wanted to pronounce a curse on them. So he thought Balaam could be for him a prophet for hire. He said, Balaam, brother, come here. I'm going to bless you real good. I'm the king. I got a lot of money, a lot of resources. I'm going to give you riches. We are going to honor you. You are going to be a big deal. What I need you to do is go speak a curse over the children of Israel. And then Balaam answered correctly. Initially, he said, well, all I can, I can only speak what God tells me. And he went to God and asked if he could do it. And God said, nope, you go and speak a blessing. And he went and spoke a blessing over the children of Israel. But I want you to note what was foul in Balaam's heart. Because if Balaam is on God's side, He shouldn't want to speak a curse over God's people. Amen. He should want what God wants. But Balaam starts thinking, man, I kind of want that honor and them riches. And he started trying to figure out how to do it. He even went back to God asking for permission. Can you imagine that? God, can I, they want me to do that. Can I just, you know, can I speak a, can I, he wants me to, he blaming it on him. But imagine going back to God, trying to figure out how you can, how you can swindle God and letting you speak a curse. And every time Balaam went before the, for Israel, God would give him, God would only let him speak blessing. And you imagine Balak was getting ticked off. I'm paying you to curse them, and you over here blessing them, their children, their livelihood, their, you know, I mean, it's getting better and better for them every time. And this is what Balaam does. This is why it's the, they call it the doctrine of Balaam compromise. Balaam says, man, I know I'm, God's not going to let me curse them, but I want that stuff. So I'm going to figure out how to get them cursed. And he came up with a plan. And he said, Balak, you know what if you do? If you send these pagan women in there and they'll seduce the men 
and they'll have sexual intercourse. They'll, have, they'll still commit sexual sin with the women. Then they'll, we'll get them to worship their gods. That'll, that'll cause God to turn against them. God will curse them for that. God will punish them for that. So even though I can't speak a curse, I'm going to show you what to do to get them to live in such a way that God does the curse to them. All of that Balaam does because I want the stuff. Never mind what God wants. Never mind God's glory. Never mind blessing or pleasing God. I just want what I want. And I'm figuring out a way. I'm figuring out a way. I'm trying to find the loophole that lets me get what I want. Um, you, know, where, you know, God's not going to let me do it this way. I'm going to find another way to do it. That is the, the doctrine of Balaam. That is compromise. It happens in our life in this way. We may know God says you can't do that. And people be asking all the wrong questions or looking for wrong things. I, you know, as doing youth ministry, I had for years lots of young couples getting together. And this is the kind of questions I would tell people. Those are, those are wrong kind of questions. People would come and they're like, well, how far can we go? How much can we do and still be, you know, saved? I'm like, that's the wrong question, right? If I told you that, you know, if there was a ledge and if you fall off the ledge, you're going to die, you wouldn't be saying, how close can I get to the ledge and, and before I die? You know, if you flirt with that ledge before you know it, you're going to find out, right? That's not the question to be asked. How much can I drink before I'm considered drunk? That's the wrong question. That's a dumb question. That's the wrong That's the wrong way to be going. But that's how compromise happens. I just I still want that. But God says no. So I want to know how much can I get before, you know, boom, I, I'm being messed up. It happens in a lot of different ways. I think single people struggle. And that's why I want to minister to y'all. You know, God says, wait. Now, the world's got a whole lot of ways to not wait. The, the world's got a whole lot of options and ways. And so some people get sick. Of, I waited. God took too long. So I'm going to be at the thing. Or I'm going I'm to entertain somebody that's not really saved. Um, not, I'm not sure if they even believe right. There's, there's evidence that they're not right. But, but maybe, maybe I can make them get saved more for God. <laughs> Compromise. And it, it, and it rarely works out to be a blessing later on. Just wasted some time. Jacked up your walk with the Lord. Got your hopes up for nothing. And then you find out when it's all said and done that the Lord was right. It'd be better to wait. It'd be better to wait. There's a lot of different ways. And I want to leave room for the Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts. I don't know what all the compromises are. I know what mine have been. I know where I've struggled in my heart. I know where I've struggled with compromise in my walk and my life with God. Um, and so may the Holy Spirit convict us all where there's compromise, that we would repent of it, that we would rid ourselves of it. Here's the problem. This, this doctrine, God says, never mind. It's not that the world was doing this. He says, but you have there those that hold that, you're letting that mess in my church. So let's talk about this. Whose church is this? It's God's church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. It's his church. He is the Lord of his, this church. Amen. So who makes the rules for what we do here? He does. I don't make this up. This is his church. These are, y'all are his people. If you're a believer, you don't belong to me. You belong to him. And God makes the rules for how we're to do things and what we're to do um, as a church. God makes the rules for who can be part of the church. Um, you know, what do you have to believe to be part of the church? You can't just believe anything and be part of the church. Y'all know that? So, so there are some people that leave you. Well, everybody created is, you know, we're all God's children. That is a false doctrine. We're all his, we're all created in his image. You got to be born again into the family of God. So, but there are people that say, oh, we're all God's kids. You don't, shouldn't judge. You, you know, people can do what they want to do. Blah, blah, blah. Bogus. So we got to be careful about that because the church sometimes is tempted to lay the standard down. 
Um, you know, so people will come or people will be happy when they come. Um, here goes some of the ways that that could happen in the church. You could have a church that said, well, we're just not going to talk about sin because people don't want to hear about sin. So I'm not going to talk to I'm not going to put I'm not going to tell y'all that are not married. Y'all shouldn't be sleeping together because y'all all get your feelings hurt and leave. That's not that's not right. That wouldn't be fair as a, a church to do that, because the Bible says that people that are not married should be sleeping together. Right. Say it like you mean it. Um, that's what it teaches. So, you know, that I wouldn't change. I wouldn't lower the standards. So people will say, oh, I love that place. I just feel good when I go because um, maybe you don't need to feel good. Maybe you need to repent. So you can be good for real, right? Um, we don't want to lay the standard down. I don't want. I don't want to make it okay for people to, you know, turn up, live wild, be drunk, get high, and then come here on Sunday and everything's good. No, you should repent. You can't get comfortable living like that. You will miss heaven by a lot. That's the Bible. The Bible says if you practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom. I know that. I owe it to you to tell you that. I can't lower the standard because, you know, then we'll have a church full of things. Um, homosexuality, that's rampant in our culture right now. We love people that are struggling with every type of sin, but it is a sin. So I can't say, well, you know what? People can love who they want to love. That's not my business. It's not my business, but you, you, you can't lust who you want to lust. That's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a standard that God has set up, and that's the standard. And if we mess with that to where we just, just, just move everything, God would say, you have there those. My church that think they're part of my church. They ain't got nothing to do with me. And I'll come, and he's going to tell them in a minute, I'm going to come slice them out. I'm going to come deal with that. That's not okay. You can't have that up in here. In the same way that he would say that about his church in general, I don't want things in my church that don't belong in my church. He would say that about you individually. You are an individual member of the church of Jesus. Amen? Each one of us are individual members of the body of Christ. And so the stuff in me that God would say, that's not like me, bro. That's That's not what I want. It's not why I didn't die for you to be that kind of person. Then I got to let the Lord deal with those things. And it changes over the years. I could run tell, I could run the tape back in my life and tell you that at different seasons, the Holy Spirit has been dealing with different issues in my heart and in my life. But they're the things that are not like him. And God is saying, I don't, that, that can't dwell. That can't continue to be like that. You can't have a bad attitude all the time. That doesn't reflect me. You can't be snapping and angry at folks all the time. That's not like me. You can't be greedy and taken from folks. Oh, that's not how I am. Um, over my, I can't make, I told y'all many times, you can't be making fun of people until their feelings get hurt. Um, that's what I was good at. And if, if you made me mad, if you got on my nerves, I would just clown you until you felt bad and I felt good. I felt good that you felt bad. That was, that was, my, that was my Christian way of socking you. I can't sock you no more, but I can roast you until I feel really good about how bad you feel. Um, so the Lord was like, that, that's not okay. That's not like me. I had to die to that. And on and on and on in my life, there are things that God is saying, I want that to be gone. To this church, he says, man, you guys have compromised. You guys have their those. They're not just coming and visiting. They're part of the church that are holding this doctrine of compromise. Then he says, uh, again, he's, he's dealing with the things he has against them. Um, he, he says about this group that they, you know, Balaam caused a stumbling block to the children of Israel. They committed, you know, sexual sin. They ate things. They were sacrificed to idols. If you guys go read the story, thousands of people died uh, as God brought out his punishment against that. Then it says in verse 15, thus you also have there those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Jesus says, which thing I hate. And you don't hear Jesus say a lot of things that he hates. So when he does say something that he hates, 
You should really pay attention. He said this to another church. He commended them for not allowing the Nicolaitans, which thing he hates. But this church, he's, he's confronting them that you have there those, those that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. What is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? It is, again, this. It is where the, 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 the church leadership and the, the laity, the regular folk, where there's this far gap, uh, that there's this hierarchy that says we're people, we're way up here and the people are way down there, where people are making themselves the big deal. And I tell you guys all the time, when the church gathers together, who's the big deal? Jesus Christ. Never me, never the worship team, never, never the people standing here. We're all, we're, all on this, we're all part of the body together. We got different gifts and we function differently, but, but I don't get to be the big deal when we gather. Jesus is the big deal. It's not like if you, if you look at the Catholic church, an example, the priests are way separated from the people. They're, they're holy, you're regular. We pray, you pray what we tell you to pray. We read the Bible, you listen to us read you the Bible. You sin, you bring it to us, we'll pray for you, tell you how many Hail Marys, our fathers, blah, blah, blah. There are other forms of that where the laity... Now, I understand biblically that that man is nothing but a man. Um, he's not anything special. Whatever they've taught him or got him believing about himself and have people believing about, he is just a man. The Pope is just a man who will give an account to God one day for the position that he took and how he's in between God and people. Um, that's a problem. God says there shouldn't be anything. When, when the veil torn to... There shouldn't be anything that's in between God and his people. And we got to be very careful as those that are blessed to be in positions of leadership to never get in the way of God and his people. We're not in the way. We're leading people to him. We're teaching people about him, but we're not in the way. You don't need me to speak to Jesus. And you don't need me for Jesus to speak to you. That's why we tell you all to read your Bibles. We expect for you to read it at home. We expect for God to speak to you all by yourself, just as much as we believe in this exchange as well. But this is not it. Um, but God says, look, that's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. The problem with this church was that they had their those. They had brought into his church things that he's telling them, right? I hate that. And it's in my church. Are there things in your life that God would say, I hate that. And it's in your life. If I can give you the heart of God on this issue. How many of us are parents? Raise your hand if you're a parent, right? So if you're a kid, you love your kids. But if your kids get involved in drugs or something damaging like that, you still love your kid, but you look at those drugs and you just, I hate those drugs. I hate that you're doing that. I hate that you're taking that into your life and the damage that it's bringing. You don't hate your kid, amen? But you would do anything if you could to separate them from that drug because you hate that. Jesus is saying, it's my church and I love my church. I love the people that make up my church, but you guys are brought into it stuff that I hate and I want to separate those things. And if you don't, you could separate yourself from those things by repenting of them. That's what that would be the A plan. That's what God would want. But God will warn them here. If they won't repent, he's going to help them out. Anybody ever had God help you get rid of something that you weren't ready to get rid of? That's not really the way you want to do it. Right. You want to hear God and repent. But sometimes some of y'all here got the knucklehead syndrome. The ministries happen for y'all. Some of y'all have had God come in and I, I, I got you. I got you on this. I'm going to go ahead and rid you of it. And, um, and if need be, you know, he's a faithful dad. So here's his answer. And this is always his answer for how to get it right when we're wrong. First word in verse 16 is repent. That is God's remedy for sin. That's God's remedy for a messed up life. That is always God's remedy. How do I get it right? How do I start back with you again? How do I get back on track? God would say one word, repent. What does it mean? Repent happens first in the mind, 
then in the heart, and your body will follow. Repentance is first, I changed my mind. I, I've been going this way against God. Now I've heard from God, I repent. I changed my mind about where I'm going. I changed my heart about what I was doing. And now I'm changing my behavior. Behavior has to be a part of repentance. We're so glad you've joined us today here on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Revelation can seem like a long book to work through, but it's all in the attitude you approach it. If you look at it as something amazing and inspiring that God has gifted to you to understand Him better, it helps you see everything with a different lens. Revelation is cool. It's a mashup of all the best elements of a sci-fi movie. But in reality, it will bring an amazing resolution to all that's wrong in the world. Isn't that what we all want? Look at the book of Revelation with appreciation of who God is and that He's the one in control. If you'd like to listen to more teachings in Revelation, go to calvaryinglewood.org. If you're wanting to connect with someone more personally about this ministry, go ahead and call or text us at 310-245-4811. We'd love to encourage you as you're seeking God for wisdom, insight, and understanding. So please pick up that phone and dial or text 310-245-4811. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, in Inglewood, California. Our time with you today is about up, but we encourage you to keep reading and studying this fascinating final book of the Bible. We're so grateful you took the time to listen today, and Pastor Bill will be back with more next time in the book of Revelation. Until then... Remember who God has created you to be in this broken and fallen world. Don't lose heart and stay connected to a transforming word.